Have children. Celebrate wedding anniversaries. The world of heterosexual is a sick and boring life. suburban home, six-year-old Carol Ann will be the first to realize. Hello. They're here. That thing is in there with my baby. And you will never look at your television set the same way again. Poltergeist, it knows what scares you. A Steven Spielberg production. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspapers. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. Listen to that music. I know. It's been a minute. It's been a while. <laughs> I'm very glad to be back. So am I. Listeners, I hope you're I ready for this. I love doing the show. My name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made us gay. Season six. Season six. Oh, my God. Season six. Season six. I mean, we only started this a few years ago when we're at season six. I know. I don't know how that works. We did have that one season where we pretty much went right through, and then right. we just went into a season. We started in May. The timing is a little funny. Don't ask us questions. It's season six. We're here. If it wasn't clear, I love doing the show as well. But um, we're back. Back Listeners. from our winter break. Our winter hibernation. Our winter hibern- hibernation. We always take a break after the new year. And then we'll back, we're back recording around mid-February. Backpack, backpack, back again with a fresh crop of episodes. You guys, I'm very excited to be talking about this movie today. This was kind of a special request from you. Yes, too. it was. It was. I've been, I've been waiting to do this for a long time. Um, I keep forgetting, but then when I remember, and then I don't bring it up, and then we have a big schedule. So season premiere, dealer's choice. Oh, we got a banger. It's all me. This also, is a banger. Also, just before we get into the movie, mm-hmm. very special season premiere because we have not ever done a season premiere with just us on the couch. Right. Too. It is just the two of us. I today. like doing the episodes with just uh, us, too. As, as do I. As we do need I. to do more. Fun and funky little conversations. So, Mama, I hope you're ready because um, it's going to be a good one. Scott, talk about what movie we're watching. We're talking about Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, written by Michael Grain. Mark Victor, and Steven Spielberg. He got a co-writer credit. Work. Released June 4th, 1982. All right. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. You guys, seriously, this movie is scary. It is charming. It is everything 80s. I mean, it's just part of that. It's a horror movie, but it is part of that, like, Amblin family PG-13 kind of, like, we watched this movie way too young kind of – it it has a place among those movies. I mean, this is not the first time we are talking about the Poltergeist canon on the show. Right. Early, early on the podcast, I believe – Second guest, Tim Murdoch, Poltergeist yeah. 3. We jumped right into Poltergeist 3. We jumped 3. right into Poltergeist 3. Because it's a kooky movie. It's a kooky movie. Yeah. You um, have the coded gay psychologist. <laughs> right, right, right. But, you know, Poltergeist 1, it, like I said, it, it fits right in there. It's up there with, obviously, E.T. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, Gremlins, like Back to the Future. It's part of that 80s pantheon of, like... I, I don't even know. It's just a movie that's just part of the culture growing up at the time. Yeah. And um, I know that for uh, a lot of years, this movie kind of had a reputation for maybe being campy, right? I know a lot of my friends um, thought that this movie was a little bit more funny than scary. What's, what's right? another movie that we were talking about? 
in regards to that. That I has a campy. I can't reputation. remember that has a campy reputation. But then when you actually sit down and watch it, I, I would like not. I would really not call this camp. No, some and, may disagree, but yeah, right, right, right. But we don't. And, read it but as that. to those people, I say watch it. Yeah, watch revisit it again. It. Revisit this movie, and um, tell me if you still think it's 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 not scary. Watch it with. With open eyes and um, be like James Cameron and see this movie. I think it's see. I see, <laughs> I see you. you. I, I, I see you, Jack. It. Watch it with better eyes um, because it is scary. It's poignant. I mean, there are times in this movie that to this day, 46 years old, having seen this movie 50 times. Not me. The When I logged this on my letterbox for this viewing Five times right. I've logged this right. movie. That in you've the past. logged it. The right. past like right. three years right. I've logged this five but I'm times. Tellin- but I'm telling you, we're rewatching this movie again. I've seen it a million times, 46 years old, sitting here welling up with tears. Yeah. Crying. And I will tell you exactly which parts. But you know, I cry at movies. I just, uh, this cold, withered, it's black fun. heart. It's fun I to do. be emotional. I, I, I get emotional movies. at movies. I get you. But Same. this movie in particular, I mean, it is. Uh, it changed – I don't know that it changed horror movies, but it changed ghost stories. It sure. changed haunted house movies. Mm-hmm. It Game was changer. the first haunted house movie that was a modern, brand-new house. It wasn't an old gothic mansion. It was a new house out in Simi Valley with a young couple, and it's a ghost story with the haunted house. And it's – so effective that way. And, um, yeah, it changed the game. Uh, I, we like to talk about when we first saw this movie. I have a really good story about when I first saw this movie. Okay, let me go first because I think okay. that yours is a little longer. Okay. I mean, I think that it's important to discuss this movie on our show of just movies that formed us. Right. That I watched this at a very young age. I think just on TV. I okay. think I want to say that TBS probably rebroadcast this a lot it must have been like a ted turner thing that like you have to show poltergeist at least once a month on the superstation but (laughs) i remember watching this a lot as a kid and it kind of informed my love of horror because it's probably one of the first legit horror movies i remember watching as a kid was watching et right right so i mean i just have memories of watching poltergeist on tv and pretty much also the Poltergeist, like threequel, the first, like those three <laughs> movies, I would watch the shit out of yeah. Poltergeist, Poltergeist Two, The Other Side, and Poltergeist Three. That's just called Poltergeist Three. Just I think. called Poltergeist. Yeah. It doesn't have a. It doesn't have like maybe a name. it does. Maybe it does. I don't remember. But I just remember always returning to all three of those movies. And no, it is literally just called Poltergeist Three. Yeah, just Poltergeist Three. Um, yeah, and like I said, just inform my love of horror movies. Right. So right. I mean, one of those movies on the show that we re- that we cover that I have no memory of first watching it, just because I feel like I've always seen this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I saw this movie very young. This movie was released in 1982. June 4th. June summer, 1982. So uh, I have young parents, right? Um, and my mom, you know, she was a young mom. And she had I mean, friends that she was still hanging out with. Friends her age Melinda that also been, had kids. Melinda would have been like, what, like 20, 21 when she had you? No, she was 22. 22, okay. Yeah. And so this is four years later. 
So she is 26. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. And this movie is a huge movie. It is yeah. a blockbuster movie. It was and the eighth highest grossing movie, I believe, of 1982. So yep. my mom had a, this great idea that, you know, going to the drive-in as a family was a fun event. And we it, used to do. And it was. We I used to do the same thing. I don't recall the second movie that this was packaged with because drive-ins were always a double feature. But what I do recall is going. I have memories of seeing this in the drive-in. You would have been at little. four years old. Yeah. I'm just about Carol Ann's age. Um, and this, the story goes, and I remember this vividly, that I don't remember much of the movie at the drive-in, but I specifically remember a, the scene where one of the paranormal investigators Goes into the into the uh, the broom closet. It's like it's it's and like rips his face it's off. like the washroom where you wash clothes. Right. Yep. And my mom covering my eyes because I climbed because she we had a station wagon and my sister and I would just lay in the back and just kind of like watch from the back seat from the way back you know the way way back the way back. And was it parked like um, backwards? Like backwards? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't okay. parked. Backwards. It was parked forwards, and we would just get in the way back and just like watch with our little heads perched on the seat, right? But I climbed up to the front and got in the front and was watching. And my mom's like, "Oh no!" Starts to cover my eyes, and I'm like, "Nope, I gotta see this. I gotta see this guy rip his face off." And I'm pulling her <laughs> hands down from my eyes, and she's like, "No, you can't watch. You can't watch." And then we didn't leave. My sister, who's older than me, dying in the back seat, like throwing yeah. the spare tire out the window to climb in. <laughs> I don't like, think Amy's a big the, horror movie no. fan. Amy didn't yeah. like E.T. Sure. Amy got very out very hit and miss movie with, with children. Yes. Especially E.T. I loved it. I loved E.T. because it was about a boy. Obviously, all movies are about boys. But E.T. was about a boy. And I was just like, he was a little boy. And I was a little boy. I was like, okay. Um this, you know, this was about Carol Ann. She was a little girl, but there was also a boy in it. But uh, so I, I vividly remember that. Then this movie was heavily, heavily played on cable. Um, for the times when we would get HBO, I remember it being on HBO. And I specifically remember that we would watch it. And then um, I don't know if it was like a tactic because we would get scared and I would always put it on and have it on. And maybe my sister would get scared and it was like a tactic that my mom had. But there's two scenes when Carol Ann is getting pulled into the closet. And in a couple of shots, they use a couple of ways to, you know, Heather O'Rourke is four years old shooting this movie. So they're not having Heather O'Rourke. I believe she was five. On wires. When they were Hanging from this bed, Mm -hmm. right? So there are several ways. There, I believe there are some little puppet legs and there's a, maybe a little person or maybe a bigger child. Yeah, for the shots that clearly aren't Heather in like the close-up. There are some shots from looking from the head of the bed looking into the closet. And so you see the bed and you see her two little feet. In her little feety pajamas, just like hanging and kicking. And my mom, la- like laughing, like, oh, look at her feet. Like, look at her kicking her little feet. And me and my sister just dying, like, ah, look at those feet. So we always die looking at her little feet, like kicking two little legs, just kicking, holding onto the bed. Sure. Especially one of those things that when you're watching scary movies with children that you can kind of point out just kind of notes in the production. Right. That 
clearly there's like a little person stand-in. Right. Yeah. And so then another thing about this is that this is the 80s. And my mom did really have Harlequin clown porcelain mask faces with the two ribbons hanging throughout the house. Yep. The clown thing was real. Like, it was decor, right? Yeah, what's up with that? It's in about Dana, there's one in Dana's bedroom. Harlequin, Harlequin like decoration of eighties homes. They're they're like masks, like the smile now cry later, like mm-hmm. kind of drama and comedy kind of thing. The two masks and their Harlequin clown faces. And I remember specifically she had these and they were porcelain, right? And they had the the like the little ribbons hanging from the side like that you would like to like tie onto your face. And so she had those. She had a couple of like Clown mask things. And then there was, I kid you not, call my sister right now. There was a full-on clown doll that was like the one that tries to eat Robbie in this movie. Awesome. Now, my grandmother's house in City Terrace in Boyle Heights in Los Angeles. Old Spanish-style house. Off the main bedroom in the back of the house, there's a little tiny, it's just a water closet. It's just you open the door and there's a toilet and that's it. There's no sink. It opens up to the um, to the uh, service porch. So there was a big sink in there with the laundry room. We never used that bathroom because it was so small and it was creepy. Like you're just sitting on this little toilet and there's a door on either side of you. But it was just really small. Yeah. And my sister and my cousin Michelle shoved me in that bathroom, which was closed off on one side because my Nana Maggie had completely covered the door with stuff and threw the clown doll in there with me. And yeah, I was probably about six or seven. And like Robbie, that beat the shit out of that clown doll. Yeah, Did you do I the think same? I destroyed that doll. Yep. And oh, you know what happened? And when I came out of the room, I swung it around by the leg. It was swinging <laughs> it over my head and swung it around and threw it across the room. And this is my mom's room at this point. Probably knocked a bunch of shit down. But I was like, Amy and Michelle, threw me in the closet with the clown doll. Why do you even have this clown doll? But just. Poltergeist was just such this part of like we would watch it all the time. And then, I mean, post credit scenes nowadays are like this huge deal. It's not a post credit scene in this movie, but at the end of the credits, the score ends, and there's this laughing. It's like girls laughing. I don't think that I ever and noticed that so until scary. you pointed that out to me once. And as kids, we waited for it. We're like, we're going to wait. Are we going to hear those kids laughing? And my sister said, ooh, it sounds like they're witches. They're witches laughing. And like, why would there be witches? Why would there, like, be, why would there be, witches be witches for? It's a ghost movie. For this ghost movie like, set in like, Southern California. We're like six and, you know, eight. To us, we're just like witches, obviously. Um, so I just have this deep connection with this movie and i feel like the score is so jerry like, goldsmith haunting. so good like the it's just, this it's it's this family unit it's a ghost story and it's just like all this shit goes down with one family in one house in one location and it's just such a great like it's just such so Ah, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's well a made. pretty tight script. Wonderful. And one of those scripts that has such fun and scary peaks and valleys. Yes. yes. Of that, the, like, there's a crazy scene in, like, minute 20 of this movie when the when the tree pulls in Robbie. Oh, my God. And it just does not let up. Oh, my God. And you think that it's done, and then it keeps going. Well, that's the other thing about this movie. There's, like, this big moment 
that's kind of be- become this meme with Zelda Rubenstein later on in this movie, and you feel like, oh, okay, movie's over. That's the end. No, it you is kind not. of forget about it. That there's like the last fifteen minutes of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Now again, or not again, but uh, another thing is that as a kid, I'm watching this movie, and um, you know, I was I was raised by women. I was raised by my mom and my grandma, and. Joe Beth Williams, so good. Diane Freeling in this movie, so fucking good. Should have been Oscar nominated, so, in my opinion. So fucking good. Uh, Beatrice Strait. I mean, our <laughs> our supporting actress queen won that uh, won, our, won our that five, Oscar five minute supporting won actress that scene an Oscar uh, won for that scene in Network for yeah. not even five minutes of the movie. Yeah, uh, amazing. Zelda Rubinstein, just icon, just icon. Yeah. Zelda, Tangina, the Magic Munchkin. Sorry, slur. Knott's Berry movie. The, the Knott's Berry Farm, Farm solution. solution. Oh my God, Mama! These ladies in this movie are just icons. Definitely, Mama Slay cinema. That yes. it's important to discuss Mama on our Slay. show. Yes, and that's the thing. You know, Stephen Freeling, the father in this movie, Craig T. Nelson. I mean, Craig T. Nelson also, I mean, there's just a quality about Stephen Freeling that this is all of our dads. Absolutely. This is all of our dads Absolutely. from the 80s. Definitely Absolutely. mine. He's very much an 80s dad. And not for nothing, Craig T., coach. Oh, oh we can get it. Oh, yeah. Yes, he can get it for first when, and when, foremost. When he's doing those, like, diving poses <laughs> in the bedroom. <laughs> when he's searching for those keys in, in his jeans at the end of the movie. No, 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 no. But uh, Craig T., big guy right huge guy and you just feel like yeah he's the dad he's a big guy he's gonna like save this family but when like the shit hits the fan it's diane it's diane like she's the one that saves these kids several times right um so it's just yeah it is like the definition of uh of mama slay and yeah the whole time I, i i always i feel like um Joe Beth Williams really reminds me of one of my mom's cousins. My cousin Michelle, her mom actually, um, my my uh, my cousin Tina. She reminds me of her a lot. But uh, just the laugh. But yeah, I, I, I just connected with this so much. And um, yeah, let's talk about just kind of the the overarching story. Then we'll kind of get into just kind of some of our favorite little tidbits about this movie. Because, um, like we mentioned, it is. Uh, it's a ghost story. It takes place in, you know, in I don't know if it's supposed to be Simi Valley. I think it's this kind of unnamed Southern California town. You know what I was reading? Costa Verde. I want to talk about mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's like mm-hmm. involvement of this movie. Yes, but yes. he said that the setting is kind of the inspiration of where he grew up in Arizona around Scottsdale. All right. That he said that he kind of lived in communities like this. As a child. Sure. And that was kind of his idea of doing this ghost story, but it was going to be set around the homes that he grew up in. Like these Spanish-style houses well, out in makes, the suburbs. That makes sense, too, because, you know, post-war, right, um, in the American Southwest, with, like, the baby boom and all that, all the men are coming back, you know, to the States and going back to work, and there's this economic boom there's this housing boom boom. and there's a housing boom and when you watch things like the wonder years and all that these are all new houses and we drive around burbank 
and we see these communities that now are old lived in communities, but at the time were brand new and there was this housing boom and there were, so he probably had this experience of living in these communities. And my dad bought a house in the Inland Empire in the early nineties and it was, there was nothing out there. And it very much reminded me of this because when, when we go over to your dad's house, I always think of the Poltergeist house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, we moved in when it was the block. It was, the model homes, and then our block, and then the rest of it was just dirt. Straight up, straight up Friedling style. Yeah, and you could see that the the rest of the community being built around us. You know, what's that line of when he's doing the the home tour? I think it's a model home. They mentioned there's a sign that says model homes. When they're walking around the model homes, and he is just feeding this couple all this bullshit. And I, the woman says, oh, we drove uh, – and I think that he mentioned like, oh, you drove mm-hmm. by my house on phase the way one. over here, phase, phase one. one yeah. And she's like, oh, those lived-in houses. Yeah, the, the neighborhood with the lived-in look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's when he tells her the grass is greener on every side. Because <laughs> Stephen – well, you know, they go through this whole thing about that Stephen is – you know, he's a realtor, he sells houses and for Cuesta Verde where they live. And, you know, he like makes all this money. He's responsible for 40% of the sales in Cuesta Verde. Like he's working it out. He knows what the hell he's doing. I think that's kind of an interesting little point about him as a salesman. So I want to start out the conversation with kind of the Steven Spielberg connection of this movie. So this was developed by Steven Spielberg, um, with, I mean, he has a co-writing, he co-wrote this movie with the two other screenwriters right. and he shot this movie back to back with E.T. I can't remember if Poltergeist was first or second, mm-hmm. but these movies came I out second. I think these movies know. came out within like a month of each other, right. maybe right. even weeks. They right. may have even both been June of 82. Right. And there's all of those stories that. Spielberg pretty much co-directed the movie. Well, this, this movie is credited to Toby Hooper, director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I right. think that Spielberg wanted to direct the movie, but was contractually unable to direct another movie because he was making E.T. with Universal. Right. And this is an MGM right. movie. Right. That they probably just had him through contract. Right. And they probably said, you can produce it, but you can't actually direct the movie. And they got... Toby Hooper from Texas Chainsaw. Right. And we'll never know like what, what various com- accounts from everybody involved that went down between Steven and the, and the production company and Toby Hooper and, and them saying like, you're going to be there, but you know, and I want to <laughs> say that Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg have both said like, right. Toby directed this movie. Right. And, but I would imagine that Steven Spielberg when directing a movie, it's just, Probably a very thing when Steven's on set, right. you're just going to have to, you're going to have to defer to Steven <laughs> yeah, yeah. when he's doing stuff like this, especially when it came to directing the kids. Because right. I think that Spielberg is just a very child-friendly director. I mean, he had just done E.T. with Henry Thomas. Drew. I mean, he discovered um, Heather O'Rourke. Right. I don't know if, I think that it was something in a casting office or something. Right. But he pretty much just said, you should audition for this movie that I'm making right now. Right, right. Um, and that's why I say this movie has that Amblin feel. It It's it set in the suburbs, centered around the family, I mean, the centered around opening scene of the movie with the dad riding his bike yeah, with the case of down beer. the street with the case of beer yeah. and 
uh, everything comes toppling over when yeah. the toy car yeah. like makes him crash his bike. That's that, a very Spielberg scene. Oh, absolutely! Just this neighborhood and the score and everything, and the kids just like messing with the messing with the neighborhood dad and all that. I love how eighties that is. That it's a case of beer, but it's four four six packs. Yeah, in the little shorty box, and they all just fall. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's su- it's super Amblin feeling. It's super Spielberg feeling. You know, Toby Hooper. Is there anything in between Texas Chainsaw and Poltergeist in his re- in his resume? Because they they absolutely do not feel like they're <laughs> same. You know, kind of uh, production. Oh, I mean, he had a movie called Eaten Alive and The Fun House. Uh, both classics. Yes. I mean, the Funhouse I think <laughs> has its has its fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie is so much more polished. It's yeah. so much more of like a pop culture blockbuster. This is a movie, movie darling. I mean, yes. this is the most polished film of Toby Hooper's career. Like the Funhouse looks like a porno movie when you watch it. You're like, is this real? <laughs> that looks. Like... I don't know if it's just because it's such a like. C grade movie that it just hasn't been updated. By the way, we have Poltergeist on our um, Apple uh, movies, and uh, it's a 4K transfer. It looks beautiful. It looks we used stunning. to have the laser disc frame. We, yeah. we still have it. But we, we have just it, haven't. Yeah. When we move apartments, we might we might put some laser discs back. Put up. some laser discs back up. Yeah. But we have the laser disc framed. Yeah. I love the cover art of this movie with with Caroline. That's the, in the other TV. thing. Is it a Drew about- Struzan? I don't believe so because it Print? just looks like a photograph. Uh, but I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, also, it doesn't look as his his posters are, are a lot more busy. Um, not that that's a read or anything. I just feel like it's so simple. It doesn't look like something that Drew would, Drew Struzan would do. Um, but this movie was just such part of the cultural zeitgeist. Um, the television kind of taking this kid and they're here. The line there here was just like everywhere. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. People knew it. The, you know, the little girl on the TV, like her hands on the screen, like these iconic images just became part of just this like cultural awareness. Right? I love that shot of Heather when she's walking down the stairs at the beginning of the yeah. movie. Yeah. And she looks like a baby. She's a child. She looks like a when baby. When she's walking like, down yeah. those stairs, she yeah. is a small, small yes. child. First of all, what is the interior of this house? This staircase. That staircase. <laughs> you better watch yourself winding, when going down those stairs. There's a winding staircase. No landing. Just like straight up, but also in like a curvy, like, you know, curvilinear form. Like this, the interior of this house is crazy. Um, okay. So let's set up the Freelings. We have Stephen and Diane, uh, married couple, and they've got three kids. We've got Dana, the eldest daughter, played by Dominique Dunn. Now, this ties into the supposed poltergeist curse. Yeah, we'll have to get into the more of the details of the yes. curse. I mean, this has been talked about at length on various podcasts, yeah. including Keep It Weird. Keep yes. It Weird did a Cursed Films episode, and they talked about poltergeist. I am dubious. I mean, there these were two horrible accidents that befell these two actresses mm-hmm. that took them way before their time. I don't know that that, you know, equals a curse. Yeah, I mean... But <laughs> it's there. Same. So, eldest but, daughter Dana... And the whole story with this actress is, like, so sad. 
to with the boyfriend. I'm, I know. It's it reminds a, it's a me really of unfortunate the other actress thing. that was murdered by my the sister stalker. Sam. My sister Sam, yes. the Brian uh, Stilberling's like girlfriend. Yes, director of Casper. Yeah, yes. terrible. Um, but okay, Dominique Dunn. She's the eldest sister. Uh, uh, Dominique Dunn is the. Uh, real life sister of um, Griffin Dunn. Real life sister of Griffin from American Dunn, Werewolf from American London, Wolf in London, and the daughter of Dominic Dunn, who uh, is a writer, He's a writer, journalist, journalist. He, he used journalist, to cover yeah. a lot of court cases. Yes. I remember he used yes. to. He wrote a lot about O.J. Simpson and Michael Jackson. I remember reading his stuff for well, Michael I Jackson. Well, I think the reason that he started writing about court With, cases was because yeah. of his daughter. Because of his daughter, he started yeah. going to these court procedures, you know, court um, trials. Um, Dana is, uh, 16 years old. She's kind of a, you know, typical eighties teen. So we discovered theories about Dana. We discovered something kind of mind blowing, right? That we're obsessed with the novelization of Poltergeist that I still need to read one of these days. We need to track down a copy. I need to track down the copy of it because, okay. Listeners, if you're not familiar, most movies in the eighties, in the 90s. In the 90s, they would release a, a, a novel. And what they would do was they would take the shooting script, right? Just the approved shooting script, throw it at a writer for hire. Sometimes it would be notable Terry authors. Terry Brooks wrote the one for episode one. Right. Sometimes it would be notable authors. Sometimes it would be writers for hire. And they would have them write a novel based on the script. That doesn't mean that these books, these movies are based on books. They would write these books based on the script. Right? I mean, Quentin Tarantino a few years ago did the right. same thing for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right, right. Yep. Harkening back to the times yep. when this would happen. Now, like I said, these were based on the shooting scripts. So oftentimes, by the time the movie came out, scenes were gone. That were in the shooting script. You have to condense stuff. Scenes were changed. It's moved already around. a long movie, so you have to right. you have to cut stuff. So the novelizations of movies are often really great resources because they have deleted scenes, they have earlier versions of scenes, earlier versions of characters. You read the novelization of Star Wars and Yoda is blue. You know, things like that. It goes into Luke's friends too. On Tatooine. On and they're only Absolutely. in like a deleted scene right. of the movie. Right, right, right. So you get all this stuff. So the this there's a lot of lore and mythology about Poltergeist because it is such a, an interesting um, piece of cinema with this, you know, supposed curse and all of these things. So um, some of the things that you have found in the novelization. What Let's let's go, let's go through the rest of the family first. Yeah, let's go through the rest of the family. Because I want to talk about we'll, this dynamic. We'll, we'll, we'll swing back on, on, the, so, on okay. the novelization. So going back to Dana, she's 16 years old. Now, this is notable because there's a scene in the movie when uh, Caroline goes missing when uh, Stephen is talking to the police. And he's listing off the family members. And he says, my wife, Diane, she's 32. Then there's my daughter, Dana. She's 16. And you're like, oh, girl. Diane was 16 when she had this child. She had her in high school. Right. Now, there are other things about Dana. Like I said, she's a typical teenage girl. She's always on the phone with her friends. She's always going on dates. There's this line later on when, when, they, when Diane says, we're not sleeping in the house tonight. We're staying at the Holiday Inn off Route 66. 
And Dana goes, oh, yeah, I remember that place. Right. So Dana's a little fast. You will also note, listeners, when you're watching this movie, (laughs) that Dana is always eating something. And she's eating weird things. For introducing her first scene, I think that she has like a pickle, right, or something. Well, her first shot is in the bed when oh, sure, sure, when sure, the yeah. dog is wandering the house, and he goes into her room and he grabs the bag of chips that's under her pillow, full bag of chips. Chips follow the place he starts eating chips. That dog, that is some like Universal Studios like animal actors. Ebuzz, yes, uh, Ebuzz the the is he a golden, yeah, yeah, golden retriever. So first she has chips in her bed that she goes to sleep in. Then we see her the next day. It's like this weekend day when all this, you know, the football game's going on and all the kids are abuzz. And she is at the fridge, arm full of food, pickle in her mouth, just pulling out all this food. Then later on at Tweedy's funeral, celery. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. Dana is eating nonstop and she's eating all these different things. My theory, Dana's knocked up at 16. That's just my little side thing that maybe maybe Toby Hooper thought that would be fun. Sure. To put that in. He worked on like a, a character. I mean, especially for it, that daughter that there's not a lot. There's there. not a lot of characters. There's not a lot of characters. So I think that movie. you kind of have to make something up to make it interesting. Right. And maybe they both came up yeah. with that. You're knocked up. Parents don't know. You know. Right. Um, and it, it also doesn't feel like something Steven Spielberg would think of. No. But I kind of feel like maybe Toby Hooper thought it was kind of cute. That's just my theory. I don't know if other people... I've, I've never researched it. I don't know if people think the same thing. But I just thought that. I didn't think of that until you mentioned that years yeah. ago. Yeah. I Always like it though. Face. Okay. So then there is a middle child, Robbie. Robbie looks to be about eight, eight or nine. And, you know... Just a little boy. I think I see a lot of young Pete and Robbie. (laughs) His room is completely covered in Star Wars. I mean, Robbie and Elliot, both big Star Wars fans. Right. I mean that just a little nod to their buddy George. And that's yeah, and that's Steven just doing doing Georgie a solid, throwing all these toys. Star Wars bed sheets. He's got the poster of Darth Vader where he's standing there with his cape open and like, woo, it's a really good Darth Vader poster. Um Yeah, just toys everywhere. Just like fighting with Carol Ann, just, just a little boy. And then we've got Carol Ann, who I think is in the movie is four or five. Because Heather O'Rourke, you said it was five. Um, yeah, and they just live in this house in the suburbs. And it's just like uh, nothing too remarkable about this family. So one thing that we do notice, this is just kind of like everyday, you know, suburban American, you know, neighborhood. We do see model homes in the establishing shots. And um, it does look like a newer neighborhood, but um, there are these shots of these old trees. There's one old tree that's in the center of the street. Yeah, that's really it's tall. A beautiful, it's a beautiful mat shot. That th- yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's this really tall old gnarled tree. It's in the middle of the street that it looks to be like, oh, that tree was there, and the builders built around, left it, it and built the street around it. And then we also see in their house there's this crazy old. Scary ass tree, which as a kid I would have been like, "Fuck yeah, I want to climb a really tall tree." But also, there is a face on this tree, yeah, that is staring right into Robbie's bedroom, mm-hmm. <laughs> fully looking like a pumpkin head. It's looking. Like, I mean, yeah, it is not like Grandmother Willow, 
Oh, it is by it any is, means. It, it is pumpkin. It head. is pumpkin. Head. <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, Robbie, tell your parents for some blackout curtains or something because they are not. But that it just that window is open. All I mean, long. I'm saying like, bust, Dad, like bust out the chainsaw. Yeah, and <laughs> knock this tree down. Not even, not even knock the tree down. Just kind of like. Oh yeah, shave the face off. Shave the face off, like a little pimple. Just shave it down because it, it's scary as hell. As a grown person, I would be like, "There's a face in that tree," and at night it's scurry. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they they don't really address it. Um, Is there anything that we need to say about Carol Ann? I mean, she's just just kid. A, yeah, preschool kid. preschool age kid. Preschool. Yep, she just looks like that. Um, remember the my buddy doll that everybody's like, "I'm like Chucky." Um, my buddy and me. Uh, there was a kid sister. A kid that sister? Okay. was like the girl version. And kid sister looked like Carol Ann. She just, mm-hmm. the blunt bangs, the like flaxen toe blonde, like that's like white hair because they're children. And it's just like that blunt, very, you know. Haircut. My buddy. She looks like. And the kid sister song was the same to the tune of my buddy. Kid sister, kid sister. Wherever I go, she goes. Um, yeah, uh, Heather O'Rourke, famously, listeners, you may not be aware, but Heather O'Rourke passed away at a very young age. She was about 12 or 13. Right after they finished production of Poltergeist 3. Yes, yes. And she was about my age, so when that happened, I have vivid huge memories deal. of that. It was a very huge deal. It was one of those things, kind of like a John Ritter kind of a situation that was fatal but if they caught it didn't need to be mm-hmm. and there was maybe some like well they didn't really look hard enough yeah it's a whole thing there again whole other podcast talking about that so there's some really great stuff in this movie that just I love the way this movie's made because it's 1982 and we talked about these really cool mat shots in this movie. There's this storm that's coming in and it's that water tank clouds, you know. I mean, there's a good mix of practical effects. Well, it's all practical. Mat mat shots, yeah, but yeah. also early computer effects too. I don't know that there are any computer effects in this movie. N- not even at the end? No. With with like the ghosts and so stuff. Need to be Tron. It would no. It wouldn't oh, look yeah, real. I guess you're right. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is kind of versions of practical. Yeah, effects. it's it's these are all that shit with the ghosts and stuff. It's either hand painted animation or uh, stuff that they shot. Like there's a ghost that's like coming down the stairs and like everything's swirling around. It's like water tank stuff. You know what's interesting is, is that I was looking up Roger Ebert's review of this movie. He gave this movie three stars. He liked it, but you could kind of tell when reading the review that he's hesitant of all of the all of like the special, special effects. effects. That uh, it was almost like the criticism right. at the time were two effects heavy. It's, too effects heavy. Right. I think that's kind of why I was right. thinking like computer right. effects right. is that I was just but, kind of going there. Yeah. And I think in 1982, that was kind of something that a movie critic would be like, oh, this is just a special effects. And you know, when they made Psycho, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, just, yeah, they, yeah. they're just used like camera, like, right. like quick camera yeah, takes. It, yeah. like, it's not it's actually edit, violent. It's all editing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the other thing about this movie. We take for granted... Uh, computer effects and all that shit there's not any computer effects in this movie there's an entire house that disappears yeah like like that collapses on itself collapses and itself and gets into sucked into like a void or into a black the fifth hole dimension and it's all done real they built 
that house in miniature and we'll talk about it later on. But that's something that obviously, you know, we talk about like, I love practical effects and I do love practical effects. I also love digital effects. I mean, I think that I love digital effects. Steven Spielberg is somebody that wants to work in the newest medium as possible when he's making a movie. Tim Burton. So it's kind of why he was so uh, kind of welcoming to visual effects early in his career. Like ghosty stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Burton is very much like, hey, if we can make it look like we want to make it look, use a computer, right? It's cool. I'm okay with digital effects, but I think that there's something about this movie, and in particular, the subject matter, right? Okay, so the whole idea of this movie, the real deal breakdown is that this child gets eaten by the TV. She gets sucked in. She gets sucked into the TV, which, which she does not. <laughs> she gets sucked into the closet. It's true. I feel like maybe kind of a misconception of this <laughs> right. movie right. that Caroline gets sucked in the TV. Right. She gets sucked into the closet, in the closet. which I think is kind of scarier because it kind of harkens oh back God. to like fears as a child of what's like in the closet. what's in the closet, yes. the closet monster. Yes. Girl. Okay. Another another misconception about this movie. Scary old man, y'all going to die in here? Not in this movie. He's in the second He's one. in the sequel. Uh, the, I mean, a, a part of the poltergeist curse was that. Oh, yes. That, that the 90-year-old man with cancer died. Oh, yeah. yeah, curse. The movie must be cursed. I mean, I think that they, they cast him and he was, like, yeah. terminally ill. The, uh, the 90-year-old man who was terminally ill with stage 4 cancer passed away. So it must be the cursed movie. Yeah. Um, anyway. That so, actor Julian Beck. Yes. He wasn't 90, but he was very old. Mm-hmm. Julian Beck. And also, I mean, we can quickly say this and move on. Mm-hmm. Also part of the poltergeist curse, Will Sampson. Oh, did he pass away? He passed away from kidney failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, Native American kidney failure is sadly kind of, like very common okay. with the Native community. Uh, sure. Will Sampson, he's in Poltergeist 2. Listeners, you might remember him from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo's Nest. Nest. Yeah. He's chief. He's the chief. Okay. So I want to break this down about the kind of analog nature of this movie, right? So interesting. And I love, I love, I love this era of humanity, this era of time that I grew up as a child in. Manual phones. Where, yeah, everything around us was mechanical, right? And this ties in so well to, you know... These ghosts in this house, I mean, how they track the ghosts. Even from the first kind of our relationships with technology, even right. the first scene of the movie when they're watching the football game right. and then Will, uh, Mr. Rogers comes on. Right. And it's the house next door and the remote. Because that would sometimes happen with yeah. early television early sets controls. with early remote controls. And that's another thing. This, is so, this movie is so early 80s. That remote control that they have, he's... They're clicking those buttons, and it's a button that you would have to push down, and it would click, right? I was talking to you earlier in the week. Those old rotary phones, those are not electrical. There's no, <laughs> there's no power. They don't need to be plugged into the wall. They're plugged into the wall through the phone cord, but there's not, like, electricity that needs to power them, right? Those TVs – okay, so Caroline gets sucked into the void. She gets sucked into – this other realm, right? The other side. The thing is, the ghosts have distracted the Freelings by eating Robbie with the tree. That shit is wild. The tree breaks into the house, steals Robbie. I could not even imagine 
watching this with an audience in 82 <laughs> and just how out of left field yeah. that is. Now, that I feel like I kind of take for granted yeah. of just how fucking insane that and is. And it's a big mechanical tree that they built on a set, shot on a soundstage, and it looks fucking yeah. crazy. They shot it in reverse just because shots like yeah. complicated shots like that. Well, to go in and grab doing, him and it, pull him, it's, it's not going to work. It's, right, it's yeah. easier to do it in reverse. Yeah. yeah. But it looks good. It doesn't look shitty. It doesn't look like you Tammy know, and the T-Rex. You know like, what it looks better than? We have not talked about the 2015 remake. The tree looks like garbage <laughs> in the remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, scary tree in the 82 movie eats it yeah, for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Eats no crumbs. No no rabby crumbs left behind. So, so the ghosts distract the family. They want Carol Ann. They're just eating the tree is just eating Robbie as a distraction to get everybody out of the house. Stephen and Diane run outside because Robbie is now in this tree. There's a tornado that is happening in their backyard, in the hole of their swimming pool that they're building. And Dana is left inside the house and Caroline's in her bed. But Dana's just watching out the window. And as all that's happening, everything in in Robbie and Caroline's bedroom gets sucked into the walk-in closet, including little Caroline, right? And now she is much like the Twilight Zone, little girl lost, floating through the fourth dimension. I mean, there's a lot written online about kind of if it, like, ripped right. off that. Have you seen that episode? Oh, it's so good. It's it's one of the Richard Matheson written episodes. I mean, we, I mean we've all seen the Simpsons version. Which one's the Simpsons version? It's the Treehouse of Terror. But like which they, uh, it's uh, Bart gets sucked in and then they, it's three D three D CG. Oh, <laughs> that one. That's yeah. that's why I didn't. We'll I, watch it after. Okay. Oh, the Twilight Zone episode is epic. It's so good. I mean, Spielberg loved the Twilight Zone. I think it was a big inspiration right. for him. Right. right. And he would later on go do a segment in the movie. It is very. It is very much that because they hear the girl. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So Caroline is now in this fourth dimension. There's like E equals MC squared is like flying past her. Do you see uh, clocks going in reverse that go to like the 13th hour? Do you hour. see like Peabody and Mr. Sherman? Yeah. <laughs> just a giant eye just blinking. Uh, we never see where Caroline is, and I think that's effective. Yes, very effective. You know, I don't want to see what's going on. I could, because it would be that. It would be the EMC. E equals MC squared, like flying around and like, you know, all that stuff. Uh, this is also one of the first times in a movie I had you ever see thunder and lightning being portrayed accurately. Where you see the flash of lightning and then they talk about it. There's a flash of lightning and then you wait and then you can count until you hear the thunder. And that tells you how far away it is, all that stuff. I was telling you when we were watching it that I have memories of watching thunder and lightning storms yeah. on the hill that I grew up on that you got kind of this yeah. cool 360 view yeah. of everything and it yeah. was a cool place to watch thunderstorms. We didn't get that in City mm-hmm. Terrace. <laughs> okay, so now they, they're they able to get Robbie out of the tree. The tree gets sucked up by this tornado in Simi Valley and they go back inside the house and now Caroline's missing, right? But Robbie discovers the television is on. It's on static. It's on static because the uh, after I want to say after one a.m. or two a.m. before cable and there were just the three networks, the the channels would just stop broadcasting. I remember that. 
They would just stop broadcasting until seeing the national anthem. I mean, I feel like that was uh, right. Probably any time so, after two. So there is something very specific, and I'll talk about with this whole like static channel, and and there's a the television being this receiver and it not receiving anything, and we can hear Carol Ann's voice through the television, and they just they don't know where she is. They hear her voice. Um, and they kind of discover it's coming out of the TV, right? So those old TVs, like nowadays we have these TVs, these flat screen TVs, right? The static is just blue. There's no static. There's no static. Because we're not tuning into channels. Yeah, there's no like... We're not tuning into channels that are picking up TV signals. I mean, anything post-digital. Right. Um, they all went to these HD signals, and then I mean, you can tune it to that, but nobody ever does. I remember when everything I was in that college. you do is coming from your Roku or Apple TV, and it's uh, it's an input setting. It's not a channel. I remember when I was in uh, radio and TV school when the, switching over. the big switch happened in yeah. the late two thousands. So yeah. it, it was a huge deal. Yeah. So the TVs that we have now are very are very dissimilar to old televisions, right? These these CRT cathode ray tube TVs. Those were machines. They were machines. Mm-hmm. They weren't just like you turn this on and it turns yeah, on. Yeah, right? I mean, we don't have to talk about the remake too much because it's a no. pretty forgettable movie, but I remember talking with Ashley Cassidy about, you know, what a missed opportunity is just our relationship with modern technology right. and how you can make it work right. in a story like that, and right. it doesn't really do it. Right. So, these old... Tube TVs, right? That's why they called it the tube, the boob tube, whatever, because there is a tube inside it. It's a cathode ray tube. It's a vacuum tube. If you hit it hard enough, if you drop it, it will explode, right? You turn on an old TV, you can hear it turn on. Even if there's no... It's it's that little sound. Even if there's no volume I love seeing the... um, When it goes into a little circle. Right. On the the screen. It would leave... An image, it would go down to a little dot. You're staring at a dot. Um, you know, uh, static emits from the screen. You get too close, you walk by. When the TV turns on, you feel it on the hair on your arm. There's static coming out of this TV screen. You know, it makes a noise even when there's no volume on. Um, Do you remember the episode coming from of it. the Muppet Babies when they go on a TV? No. Yeah, I think that there's an episode of the Muppet Babies. Um, I remember as a kid... Getting up really, really close to a TV and seeing like the little the little dots, the little pixels, the, the little, little pixels, like, yeah, red and blue. Same. And you know, I don't know if you ever did, but if you get a magnet, and put it up to a TV. Oh, you're fucking up that screen. Um, I mean, there's that scene <laughs> with that and kind of an interesting commentary on just like uh, how we process kind of media and entertainment of right. Caroline looking at the TV really up close because Caroline, yeah. she saw something the night before. Right. And when Joe Beth Williams says like, Oh, you're going to like, hurt your eyes. you're going to hurt your eyes. And she turns it on and it's like Cowboys and Indians yeah. shooting really themselves. loud. And she's like, just like, is that like right any better? TV. Right, right, right. Yeah. But Watch yeah, this. just, just, yeah, just yeah. kind of a fun, like yeah. uh absolutely throwaway scene, but just absolutely. very like poignant. Um, I, oh, oh, quickly. Yeah. Of when, Okay, what I also really like about this movie yeah. is the setup of all of this from a script standpoint, I think is really interesting because Joe Beth Williams figures out very quickly right. something is up. Right. Like she doesn't have right. to be convinced by her small child yeah. that 
there's the TV people yeah. of when she's in the kitchen with Caroline. And still to this day, <laughs> the kitchen scene with the table and chairs, the chairs yeah. it does it for me every time <laughs> of how that scene is shot and, and cut together. Well, I mean, one it's, take. it's all in one take, so yeah. it's not even cutting it together. Yeah, yeah. But it's so effective yeah. when Joe Beth Williams looks at the dining room and right. all of the chairs are on the table. Well, and all the kids are eating breakfast and they're just like big, hectic day before, you know, it's school day. School hasn't started yet. Everybody's eating breakfast. Robbie's cup bursts in his hand. Then like later on, she's like, eat your breakfast. And he picks up his spoon and, and the spoon's bent. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a very, like, that's incredible. Uh, Yuri Geller was this guy who would go on like, that's incredible and real people and stuff. And he would talk about being able to bend cutlery with his mind so that was just very much like in the in, in the air in the, the zeitgeist yeah. like bending spoons doesn't really mean anything but it's like it was, it's in the matrix you know so that's why that's there but she says at one point they all leave the room and she's like you guys like push your chairs in when you leave like mm-hmm. come on because all the chairs are pushed out so she goes and pushes them in and then it cuts and when it cuts back it's like the circus is in town and that shit is wild. I li- I mean I like to just think of the prop guys all that running in there with a the chair. All run in there <laughs> and take the chairs and then they have all of these chairs glued together Sure. and they could just pick it up like and a, set it down. Like a cake topper, just like, like a, s- a cake topper. But it's also like the way they're stacked, it's that thing where it's like it's precarious. If you move mm-hmm. one, they all would fall over cuz there two of them there's six chairs. And that's another thing. I'm like, why does there kitchenette have six chairs because, <laughs> because they have a formal dining room this because, is the kitchen because we couldn't get the shot the breakfast nook yeah you could you couldn't do this stack with four to five chairs you know tv people right mm-hmm. did you see the tv yeah. people uh-uh. <laughs> um but what i think is really clever about these characters and how they find out that shit's going down with their house that Joe Beth Williams is immediately kind of fascinated with it. Right. And you don't really see she's, that a she's lot. She's home alone. She's a, she, she's a stay-at-home mom, and she's there with Carol Ann, who's, you know, just a little kid. So if she goes to school, she's in school for an hour, two hours, you know, and then comes home. So she's by herself just cleaning the house, doing whatever. And then, yeah, she sees this shit, and she's excited about it. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of – it's interesting because you don't see that in a lot of movies that are about hauntings. Right. Is that she's initially excited by it, as would probably we be well, if we figured out because, that our apartment was haunted. Because also what you get right off the bat are not like giggling children and like a scary man in the corner. You get things moving. And isn't that kind of what poltergeist, yeah. like a noisy ghost you is get, just kind of. But that's what people who feel like they really have a haunted house, that's what they say. or That's what they report happening. This thing that I lost, I couldn't find it, and then I f- it was somewhere where it shouldn't have been. Or, or something kind of moving really yeah. quickly. I left something somewhere, and then it, when I looked back, it was somewhere else. You know, They don't talk about like – and there was – well, sometimes they do. But I mean just for a horror movie standpoint, it's not like there was a child in the cupboard and he jumped out at me and like stuck his tongue out. No, we don't get ghosts. Until, like, way later. We get disturbances. But we you know who is happen. not into this is when... Oh, Steven. Steven comes home. <laughs> like, that no. he is just immediately like, <laughs> yeah. nope. Yeah, fuck no. No, I am not putting on... None of your asses are getting in this kitchen. No, I am not going to sit on the <laughs> kitchen room floor and be drug across yeah. Yeah. the tile yeah. by this 
ghost entity. Yeah, or whatever the fuck it is. Or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. Yeah. yeah, no, Steven's not having it. Nobody's going in the kitchen. Everybody I love how stay out. I love how Craig plays that scene, too. Yeah. I think he's really good. Yeah. And it's very subtle. Yeah. Of just how he's like, oh, no. Like, because Diane's so excited, yeah. she's just like, "Oh my god, you got to do this." She's had she's had the whole day to deal with it, I guess. So she's not as like freaked out anymore. But he's just like, "Okay." But yeah, this is all the night before, or the day. This is all the day before. And I think that's what's really great about the script now. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, movies today would they even bother with all of this character development right. of just kind of getting that invested with this yeah. family? Yeah. That when Caroline does get sucked into the closet. I think that the stakes are higher because you just you know this family. Right, right, right. And we we're we're with them enough to understand that like yes, she's like up and walking and talking in nursery school and all that, but she's still a, a little kid. She's like, you know, 5 years old, 4 or 5 years old, that like preschool kindergarten age. It's like, all right, yeah, the, you know, like I said they're walking and talking and all that, but they're, that's still baby. Okay. You know? Also, another another scene of the script that probably lifts right out, but I'm glad that it's there is them going over to the neighbor's house, the asshole neighbor, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and asking them if yeah. anything's happening at their house. Right, I right, love. Right. Have they been Have they been smoking some dope? <laughs> have, oh. have they been getting high? Well, that's another thing. Very early on in this movie, Stephen and Diane. Diane's just like smoking a, a out of a roach clip, smoking a dube in bed. And Steven's rolling one. In the little cigar box. Yes. And, and he's she, just like, you do this. You're, you're better. At this. And she's talking about um, just kind of was Caroline sleepwalking? Because yeah. she used to sleepwalk when yeah. she was a kid and she yeah. got in the they back found, of someone's car. They found Caroline downstairs. She walked all the way downstairs and was staring at the TV and all that stuff. And, and she's talking, telling the story of when, the when uh, Diane was young, she mm-hmm. used to sleepwalk and she yeah. sleptwalk and got in the back of someone's car. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he drove all the way to work. He drove all the way to work. Yeah. But I mean, also just... These are characters that were they were young in the sixties, right? And they probably were stoners <laughs> when they were young, and then. But just, it's also a thing that's just like, yeah, they're adults and they're parents and they have kids, but they're still people. Yeah, they're still like only in their thirties. Mm-hmm. Like I have friends who are in their forties, and I'm like, you need to cut back on the weed. You know what I mean? So it's like, and he's reading you like don't just and stop he's, and he's, smoking weed because you have kids, and he's reading like the Ronald Reagan book. Just, yeah. I mean, just very like kind of of the moment yeah, of yeah. these these young Reaganites that were hippies in the sixties. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, very yeah. It's a lot of interesting, cool, really cool character character beats with them. Um, but when when Carolyn does get taken and she's you know she's in there we have to talk about dr lesh played by beatrice straight mm-hmm. they go to they don't know where to go they go to the police the police can't do anything and they're, they're kind of like they don't want to really kind of tell like what do they say i mean like, they're the adults and their kid went missing yeah under their watch yeah. so it's just like so, i don't really think that you can really do all of that much with like the authorities right. because they're going to blame you for the missing kid. So they go to the university and they find a parapsychology department and Dr. Lesh comes. They sp- spend the night. Crazy shit happens that night. They see that the room is just like toys flying around. You know, these people are like, oh, yeah, we're paranormal psychologists. We, we, saw, s- we saw something like move across, move like three inches. In eight hours. In eight hours. Yeah. And I filmed it. And isn't that cool? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's fucking cool. And then he opens up yeah. the 
the kid bedroom yeah. and all this shit's like and and spinning around the, the room. The Incredible Hulk is riding a horse. Like that shit is crazy. All those matte shots of like all that stuff flying around. Those are some great effects. Um, Beatrice Strait doing some fine work in this movie. She does some you know, great. Just kind of interesting about Beatrice Strait when you look on her filmography. She didn't really become really successful at acting until she was like right. in her late sixties. Right, right. And then wins the Oscar for. Network. Maybe just over five minutes of the movie Network. Mm-hmm. And I believe this role was offered to some pretty big actresses at the time. Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine was one of them. Yeah. And supposedly... Considerably younger than Beatrice Strait. Considerably younger. And according to IMDb trivia, she did Terms of Endearment over... Sure. Poltergeist. Yeah. I could totally see. Good for her. <laughs> I, I mean, good for her. Like, clearly that all worked out. Yeah. But I could see. She would have been amazing. I, I could see Shirley MacLaine. And Shirley MacLaine has, yes. I mean, everything that we know about Shirley. Mm-hmm. This right is, up her alley. This is her brand of bullshit. Yeah. Right is, up her alley. Is Poltergeist. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but this is where we see, you know, one of the researchers having these crazy visions in the service porch, ripping his face off. Going to make himself a full steak in the middle of the night. Don't mind go, me. I'm going to go get something to eat. Don't pulls mind out, me. I'm just going to take out this. Pulls out a full steak. This full New York strip from the fridge. Yeah. And a pan like he's <laughs> going to cook it. But he sees he's having these visions that the ghosts are like telling him, get the fuck out of this house. This is not your family. This is not your business. You need to leave. And scares him out. Um, we see. Okay. This is the scene that as a kid. And to this day, all right. She's like, Dr. Lesh, Beatrice Strait is just like, all right, let's see it. Like, where's Carol Ann, you know? She's like, okay, we're going to call Carol Ann. And, you know, Diane and Steven call out to her. And, and now we hear her. We hear her. We, where are you? I can't see you. I don't know where you are. There's, there's a light over there. And Dr. Lesh is like, don't tell her to stay away from the light. So we see all this stuff. Then Carol Ann kind of like, she leaves. She disappears. We don't hear her anymore. And Diane's like freaking out. Where is she? Where is she? She goes through the stairs like to to see the bedroom, starts walking up the stairs. And then there's this like flash and there's this like wind. And she's like, Diane's like, she passed through me, right? She's like, I felt her. I felt her presence. She passed through me. I can smell her on my clothes. Like... She's here. She was here. Mm-hmm. And the way that one Miss Jobeth Williams plays this scene. Uh, Should have been Oscar uh, nominated. Tears. I know uh, that everybody's, falls every everybody's kind of always up in arms that uh, hereditary. Right. Tony Collette, epic snub for a horror movie. But right. I mean, Jobeth Williams. Yeah. She's killing it in this movie. Killing it in this, this movie. This scene is so poignant. Uh, gets, you know what gets me every you know time. What? is one of my favorite scenes of the movie that kind of revisiting this movie as an adult, it's an entirely different experience just because I think that you're kind of in the place of the adult figures a little more than right, you are right. when watching it as a child. Right, right. I really love the scene with Beatrice Strait and Robbie yeah. where it's she's kind of when they're talking. breaking down yeah. the world of kind of the ghosts, the afterlife yeah. and who they are, who they are. And yeah. me personally, Maybe I'm a bit of a skeptic that mm-hmm. I don't always buy right. the concept of ghosts. But what I like about Dr. Lesh when she's breaking this down is that, oh, yeah, 
Like, if there's ghosts. That sounds right, yeah. This sounds this is right. Who they would be. Some people believe that when people die, there's a wonderful light as bright as the sun, but it doesn't hurt to look into it. All the answers to all the questions that you ever want to know are inside that light. And when you walk to it, you become a part of it forever. And then some people die, but they they don't know that they've gone. You think they're still alive? Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to die. Maybe they were ready. Maybe they hadn't lived fully yet, or they'd lived a long, long time, but they still wanted more life. They resist going into that light, however hard the light wants them. They just, they just hang around. Watch TV, watch their friends grow up, feeling unhappy and jealous, and those feelings are bad. They hurt. And then some people just get lost on the way to the light, and they need someone to guide them to it. I want to go back a little bit to the TV before we get to Tangina because I'm, I just thought about this the other day. So these old TVs, right? They just, they had these channels and if there was, if it wasn't receiving anything, then it would get static. But if it was receiving something, it would get the channel, right? And it was these television waves that are coming from this antenna that's way off in the distance it's on mount wilson here in la oh i'm like you're bringing me back to when i was a small child and we had a television set set like this with the manual dial yeah and me turning the dial and when when you would be in between channels you would kind of see both at the same time yep yeah and that's what i'm saying this is a machine this is this isn't like electronics like we know now when you go from if there are channels at all on your television you go from one to the other it's digital changes over but there's this like weird in between when you would do that then there was also uhf channels that were on a different band oh, and you love it uhf i love you the weirdo uhf then there you know but the tv is this conduit right and it's picking up these waves that are around us in real time but we can't see any of these waves but this television is there and it's interpreting all of that and we're getting what's channel we go to or whatever and they talk about like with the absence of a signal on this channel it can pick up a lot of things and that's how like the old of uh, the uh the mr microphone like hey baby we'll be back to pick you up later that's how that worked because it would tell you to go to this channel that was this random channel way on the radio dial and that's what the mr microphone was set to and that's how you can get it to like play you're the sounds that you're mm-hmm. talking into it, right? Homer's present for Bart. Yes. Yep. And so Microphone. when we get Tangina coming in, she's kind of like this. She's a medium, right? You're jamming, you're jamming my you're frequencies. Jamming my frequencies. She's like a TV. She's picking up all this stuff that's around us, but that we can't see. And she's the channel through which we are, she's interpreting these signals right and she is like a television for this other 
world that's around us right now, but we can't see it, much like the TV signals. She's picking up the signals of the ghosts that are occupying the same space at us, but as us, but that we can't see. She can see them and she can hear them. And she's channeling that to everybody else. And I don't know. I just, I just kind of love that because Mm -hmm. there, there is something that like we couldn't, you couldn't have this thing where uh, the ghosts took a person and now their voice is coming out of the Roku stick. Sure. Like what? Like <laughs> it wouldn't really work if like Caroline was sucked into her iPad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um Caroline. Uh, <laughs> um no, it it needed to have these old these analog technologies and um having having this medium come in cuz Dr. Lesh like she said, she's a a, a licensed psychologist, but she just enjoys the paranormal. So she's kind of doing this as a little side hustle. But when shit gets to a place that she can't really explain it anymore, then she brings in help. And then we have Zelda Rubenstein. Such a great scene with um, Dr. Lesh and Diane when she says that, um, I mean, the other guy left. Yes, he will not. Marty won't be coming. Marty back. won't be coming back, yeah. but I will. Yeah, and you just kind of get that great like woman to woman connection <laughs> of that like I got you, sis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like these men that we feel like are supposed to be in these movies, the saviors. These men are the ones that are going to save the day. Marty gets bitten when he goes up into the bedroom, and he pulls his shirt up and has a huge bite. Bite mark that's like a freaking bear, like huge, right? Ryan sticks around to help. Ryan stays. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does stay. For once, the black guy doesn't <laughs> does not die. Does not die first. <laughs> yes, I mean, absolutely. he he sticks around for the whole movie. Yes, he's cool. He stays the whole time. But Marty will not be coming back. Um, and yeah, when we do get Tangina in there, it's like okay, now shit's getting real. I'd be curious if you read the shooting script, how this character is described. Right. And how did they cast it? That maybe they just thought, I mean, let's just kind of like really kind of cover everybody of who else could we cast for this? And then fucking Zelda Rubenstein. I think Zelda Rubenstein has a very. Walks into the room. She has a distinct look, obviously. She has a distinctive voice. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she's somebody, if she were to walk into your house, you'd be like, oh, she's the real deal. (laughs) If she walked in, you know, and just kind of the the cool, quirky 80s styling of her with the glasses. She's got these big aviator glasses on that are like a rose tint, you know, Um, she's got this southern accent. She's just like, yeah, she's I don't know. She's just just something a little witchy about her. You know, and um, yeah, just so, so perfectly cast and so iconic her, in this film. Her wandering around the house when she first walks in, just kind of scoping out everything. Yeah. She's kind of listening. She's like listening to the airwaves. Yeah. And just how uh, Steve is just like standing there. And you just get that. Steven is skeptical. You just get that male energy from Steve. Right. Of. But the th- the interesting thing is like all this shit that's going down, and you're going to be skeptical of like the person that's like, no, yeah. I can like pick up on all this stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, maybe somebody can. Who cares if she's just over four foot? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this your Knott's Berry Farm solution? Uh, yeah, Stephen is very skeptical. Stephen does not like Tangina. He tries to, like, answer her with his mind. He's, like, being very snarky about it. But I, I think that's just playing to the audience. Just like, all right, you got to be skeptical when it comes to these kooks who feel like they can talk to ghosts or they can hear, they can hear the afterlife. Great monologue from uh, Zelda, too. When she's kind of breaking everything down, she's talking about just kind of they have Carol Ann. When she says, now let's go get your daughter. And she mentions <laughs> that, oh, there's also something super dark. Right. That has her. There's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. So much rage. So much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. Hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take your daughter away from you. It keeps Caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. You don't really know what it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a ghost. The beast. The beast. Yeah. I don't know. It's kept ambiguous. It is. Of what exactly it is. Yes. Yes. The the sequel goes into who it is and all that. I don't know that I'm exactly happy with their explanation of it. In part two, the other side, I like that it's kept ambiguous here. It's just a darker malevolent kind of entity that's in there. But they're just saying that Caroline is so young that they're just drawn to her, her youth and her life force and her life force. And she's a child. I mean, I was kind of going back to my film theory days and I remember, uh, excuse me, us discussing like the whole thing of like, there was a philosopher named Lacan and he kind of looked at the real or kind of the absence of, language and how kids are more connected to the real because they're so young and they don't really have just kind of Tangina says that line he says it lies to her it says things that only a child would understand only thing a child could understand yeah i can't really like i I can't really do like a full (laughs) like psychological like yeah like description but i remember kind of learning about that in film class yeah of that they call it in the academic community, it's called like the real. Okay. And just kind of how kids are more with, connected to something with like Lonnie that. Love and Garcelle. I love the real. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thing. and that's and that's why they want Carol Ann. Right, right. Too. Right. right. Um, yeah, there's something in there. There's an entity in there that's kind of latched itself onto her, that's telling her things. 
And she doesn't even know where she is because she is so young. And it is just kind of like a dream state that she's just kind of like going along with this thing. And um, Tangina says to Carol Ann, it's just another child. Mm -hmm. Right. But to us, it is the beast. And um, we see that when they go in and they try to like, okay. Well, because we know that like, I mean, there's sort of bridges in this house. So, so Tangina talks about by location. By location, yeah. I love it. Explain uh, that because well, things yeah, by location is uh, disapparating. It's like blinking out of existence and showing up again somewhere else. Like you can so, go from one area of the house. The yeah. case being point A is the closet, right. and point B is in the living room. Yeah, in the ceiling in the living room because we see these things coming out of coming out of like the there's ceiling. some sort of a tunnel. So she with, says, if that's the way out, then somewhere in this house is the way in, and it's the closet. In the in the kids' room, and um, and this is something that they did in the in the Twilight Zone episode. But it was the dad that goes in to get the daughter. But in, and in this one, they initially say Tangina's going to go and get her, but she doesn't know her. And Diane's like, she's not going to go to you. She's not going to go to know you. you. She's going to go. You're to right. Me. Yeah, you're right. You go. You go. <laughs> and then Stephen's like, no, 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 I'll go. And Diane's like. We need you to hold this rope because we yeah. gotta, you got to pull me out because she's going to go in, right? And Stephen's like, okay. So those scenes. Oh, I mean, these. I mean, I think this is arguably the most Spielberg scene of the entire movie. Mama. I mean, he directed a Mama. scene this same year that if you like match them up, it's the same scene. And do you know what I'm talking about? What are you talking about? Do you, do you remember the scene from E.T. when they're in the science class and he's kind of <laughs> mentally connecting with E.T. because yeah. Henry Thomas can like – he's, bond, he's yeah. that closely bonded with E.T. Yeah. that he can like – he can like uh, – Emotionally attached. Emotionally so attached to yeah. him. And it's with all the scenes with the frogs. Mm-hmm. And they're letting out all of the frogs. Mm-hmm. The window's open. Yeah. And – um, and he kisses Erica Elaniac. And he kisses Erica Elaniac from the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. And it's sort of like set up to that. Or the better or like, movie, Under Siege. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 I mean, it's framed like that with the score. I mean, right. that was John Williams, this is yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. But I always think of those scenes yeah. together. But Joe Beth Williams and Craig T, they're like, and she is in her like karate outfit. Like this outfit that she's wearing is like. She's going to the karate tournament, the Taekwondo finals. Um, and, you know, we've got the rope tied around her and the wind is like blowing and this light this like light from the fourth. The Jerry Goldsmith score is like blaring. Oh, my God. And then they kiss and the lights behind them and all that. And ah, like, it's such like a movie moment. I love says, it. Steven, don't let go. Oh, my God. When the way she says that, she says, don't let go. And he goes, never. And she goes in there. Oh, my God. She and she and that's the thing. It's like this is, this is Mama. This is their mother. That's just like I'm going, I'm walking into this closet, that is a portal to, what? We always to joke where? of just like these scenes of Joe Beth Williams, like 
walking, <laughs> walking on. I mean, they call it the other side in yeah. the sequel, so that's yeah. what we'll refer. And to that's it. the thing in the sequel. They show it. They weird, show it, and, and, it, and it doesn't really work. Like but just kind of her like floating, like Ooh, yeah, just like, like looking like Dan- Carolyn, Deanna Troy, just like floating through like through space. Yeah, there's some wild shit in the other side with like the grandmother like saving them. The ghost of the, the ghost yeah, of the yeah, grandmother. Yeah, yeah. It's a little heavy handed. Mm-hmm. It's a little heavy handed. Um. But yeah, it's you. You feel like the gravity of just her, like walking into the to the unknown and to the other side to you know, to get Carol Ann, and you know you she. There's a moment where Stephen just oh I know why because Tangina is telling all the ghosts and she gives her big all are welcome all are welcome and she's telling them to go to the light she's telling the spirits to go. But she, but Stephen's like, you said not to go to the light, so he starts pulling them back, and she's like, not yet. And the big like skeleton face comes out of the closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, again, these huge practical puppets and things. Later on in the movie, when when Diane's trying to get into the room, and there's like this crazy like, this crazy like animal mm-hmm. skeleton thing. Oh, so good, but. When they come out and they're like covered in goo. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, I mean, that's kind of effective of that when you come back from the other side, yeah. you're covered in this goo. I mean, it's almost it's like ectoplasm. Ectoplasm, or it's almost kind of like during childbirth yeah. of what a, what a kid's covered in, yeah. what, what like a baby's covered in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's, that's deliberate. And, you know, they put him in the bathtub and all that stuff. And, and Tangina has her big moment, which is this house is clean. And you're like, Where? are you sure about that? Where? You sure about that? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? <laughs> you're like, work, mama. Um, and that's the thing. We get the next day and like Carol Ann doesn't remember any of it. She's fine. She's just sitting there. But they are moving. The movers are there. They're getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. It's like I always give this movie like they're spending one more night in the house and they put the kids back in that room. But no, there's a... There's a moment where Steven's going to go to work or whatever. We and haven't she's like come back. We and haven't when you come back, about, we're leaving. We haven't talked about. I mean, what's also really clever about this script uh-huh. is that they set up Steve's job as right. being kind of the head reeler right. of Quest of Verdes, right. and his job and his boss is played by James Karen. Right. So James Karen, James Karen, Queen, always queen. there. Oh, I love James Karen and Return of the Living Dead. Yes, like, yes. would be my supporting actor winner of that year. I think he's so <laughs> fucking good in that movie. Yeah. Also, um, he's in like everything. He's in one of my favorite episodes of The Golden Girls. Mm. He's really good. Mm-hmm. He goes on the date with Dorothy and Maz, like the third wheel. Oh, sure, great episode. Yeah, but there's this kind of he comes back through, and you kind of forget about him, and then he comes back. Right. So you kind of get. The stu- uh, you get the set up with the moving of the cemeteries. Right. Of that right. when he takes um, move Steve the but out for that walk the and they're up on the hill and yeah. he's saying like, oh, this is going to be mm-hmm. the new this development. Is this is going to be phase yeah. five yeah. and we're going to build you a home. Yeah. Like you just have to do me a solid yeah. and help me sell all of these houses. Yeah. I love that shot yeah. of when it pulls back. And you see the headstones. And you see yeah. the cemetery. Yeah. That, oh shit. They're standing right next to an yeah. old-timey cemetery. Yeah. And it is straight up a Knott's Berry Farm, old Calico ghost town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, old-ass cemetery. Like, here lies... Like, 
and <laughs> Steve is having the conversation with them of you're gonna like you already like you can't move this. You yeah, can't he's move, like, what are you talking about? You There's... can't move the cemetery. Yeah. That's like sacrilegious. Yeah. And, uh, and James, James Karen. Karen was like, oh well, we already did it. Yeah, you're like living yeah. on top of phase one. one. You're living on top of phase one. Yeah, yeah, and that's when we find out. Oh shit! But just All kind right. of these clever little like. It is really cool the way they cut to it. And you're like, Steve, because they just show them the shot looking out. And he's like, this is this view. You're looking over the valley. And, you know, this is going to be your bedroom and all that. But then when they kind of do this reverse and he's like got his hands on like a fence or something and they pull back. And you're like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, shit. But just also kind of a comment of just like the greed of these developers. Right. Not right. giving a fuck about like these cemeteries. Right. With people's but, loved ones yeah. that they're going to pick up and move. But I think the, th- the thing is that they, pro- they don't really say it, but I th- maybe the thinking is these cemeteries are so old that nobody is even alive anymore coming to visit these people. Yeah. These people are generations gone. So, I mean, we don't go visit our great-great-grandpa. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You visit your parents and your grandparents and th- at the cemetery, but like... After so many generations, nobody goes anymore. I love the old L.A. cemeteries like this because now when, I mean, you're buried in a cemetery around Los Angeles, you don't have, like, a headstone like that. They're going to be flat. Yeah. So, and when you go to the East L.A. neighborhoods Mm -hmm. with the old cemeteries. Yeah. You can see stuff like this. The Nightmare on Elm Street cemeteries. It's kind of eerie that when you're (laughs) driving down the freeway and then you look over and you see this old cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. There are some even older ones that we don't go into that are like, yeah, just really, really old. Um, but but the, ju- yeah. But yeah, but like I mentioned, just kind of an interesting device of the script. Yeah. That no, it's great. It's, it's great. there. Yeah. Like they're kind of, yeah. they're, they're setting up the last act of the movie yeah. with kind of this, um, with this character. And that's great. Yeah. Like that's such terrific screenwriting yeah it's really good it's really good writing um but yeah it's also it's also good in that we have this big moment of diane going to the other side and getting caroline back and then we have the next morning and we're just like all right this is it the last act of the movie like let's wrap it up and we have this final night and it's like oh shit um and again i just always thought like why are they spending the night there but no she says like come home from work and let's get the hell out of here. And he just he just kind of says to her, "If the kids get tired, put them to bed, and then we'll we'll wake them up and mm-hmm. and we'll leave." I mean, and they're also under the impression that this house is clean, right? Too right. I mean, they're still not going to spend the night, but, but they'll would, hang out there for another few hours. But though. clean house or not, it's like I'm not putting the kids back in that same room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we'll all sleep downstairs, you know, conjuring style. Um, scary sequence of Diane after she's taken the shower and she dyes her hair back because she has that like fabulous she has white rogue, streak. Yeah. She has that like rogue, her Bonnie Raitt, fierce Bonnie Raitt like streak in her hair. I would keep it, Diane. Yeah, I think it's kind of working. But she, she says it's, you don't think it's a little punk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, but she uh, gets in the bath and dyes it back. Mm-hmm. And really scary scene that I remember watching as a kid of her in the bedroom. Right. That um, the I rotating mean, the rotating, rotating room, yeah. the rotating room. Yeah. I mean, was this pre Nightmare on Elm Street? Yeah, mm-hmm. they need to. 
Yeah, they do it again. Great sequence, very scary. And the room is huge. It's one of those like 80s houses where the master bedroom has that giant vaulted ceiling. So it's this huge wall that she's like being thrown up against and it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um and so the whole thing is again, it's distracting her mm-hmm. from the ghosts coming to take Carol Ann. So she gets thrown around the room. She gets thrown down the stairs. Not this time, though. <laughs> so, okay, well, there's the whole thing where she gets, she falls in the pool. And this is another thing that's like, oh, Boulder Guys curse, is that there's skeletons now in the pool because the, the well, no, I mean, caskets are coming up when, through when the When Carolyn was first taken, they thought she might be in the pool right. because they have this, like, hole in the backyard. They're building the pool. They're, They're the building the building pool. building it, yeah. So it's just a hole, and it's been raining, and so there's mud. So the story goes that the skeletons in the pool with Joe Beth Williams are real skeletons. Because for whatever reason, it's cheaper to buy a real skeleton than to fabricate one. I always kind of I thought about that. I always kind of thought that they used real skeletons because they read better on film. Sure. I mean, you're still going to have to have the art department go in and like fix up these skeletons. To kind of yeah. look like a body. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this coming is out of a casket or not. But I mean, I think that every bit of trivia. I think that Joe Beth Williams has actually like said, right. oh yeah, right. they put me in that in that like in that hole. In that hole with right. real skeletons right. that right. she later found out. So I think that she's kind of mentioned it. So when she gets out and goes back up the stairs and she gets to the top of the stairs, there's some really cool practical effects here. There is the vertigo accordion shot. To make mm-hmm. the staircase look like an impossible staircase. Or not staircase, the hallway. And the kid's room is at the end of the hall. And she's really heavy, like she's going down to the floor. Like yeah. it's um She's doing she's doing like a like a run where it's like she's trying to run, but the hallway keeps stretching. Mm-hmm. And it's like as a kid, I was just like, Oh shit, that's scary. Cause that's the dream. That's the nightmare of like, I'm trying to run and I can't run. You know? Um I always thought those shots were really effective where where they did those the the Hitchcock accordion shot. I love that shot of Heather when she sees the closet open back up again and Carol Ann is just like she says not again. Not again. No. Yeah. No, not again. <laughs> yeah. And that was the She's going to be holding on a little more tighter that was, this time. That was the thing earlier in the day Diane said she doesn't remember it. But as soon as but you know the closet door opens Robbie's like Robbie's destroying the the clown. He's saying, I hate you. I hate you. And he's saying, uh, I turned the subtitles on. He's saying, I hate you. And he's saying, you're not real. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love Robbie saying, you're not real. Um, and he's pulling the stuffings out of it. But yeah, all day long, Diane thought she doesn't remember it. She didn't know what happened. But then she's The like, clown ah, too. The setup and payoffs that they introduced the clown. Yeah. Okay. So here's also right. with the clown. Side combo of the clown with the novelization of Poltergeist. <laughs> well, we didn't talk about the big thing for the novelization. The big thing in the novelization is that um, he has a birthday party. Mm-hmm. That the day, the day that the at the very beginning, where you know Stephen's watching football with the guys. It's just the very first day. Tweety the bird dies, and they bury him in the backyard. That day, it's Robbie's birthday party, and. Robbie finds this clown doll by some kind of some like rubble. I think that, I mean, cause they're, I think that they're about to begin construction mm-hmm. and there's kind of like rubble. And I think in the book, something bites him. 
The clown bites him. The clown bites him. It's like his. He, it's like his doll. He goes in to reach for it. It's his doll because I read the first chapter. It's his doll. It's not like he just finds a random clown. Okay, doll. I kind of. I kind of thought that but, the doll like just appeared or no, like no. It's his, but it's buried out there, mm-hmm. and for no explanation. Why is this? He's like, oh, that's my that's my clown. Like, what the hell? It's under it's under these this pile of bricks. I think they're maybe they're like doing building a barbecue deck or something. Like it's under this pile of bricks. I'm gonna grab my clown, and he goes to get it, and it bites his, bites his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's in the novelization. It's not in the book. Um, and so then they get it. He they get it, and they pull it out, and then it just goes back into the room with them. But it's a, that's the thing. It's it's his doll, and it's he finds it in the backyard buried. And mm-hmm. it's like, why is it? How did it get back here? But yeah, setting up the scare early in the movie, and then he's afraid of the doll the whole movie, and then you forget about it. Yeah, as the viewer. Yeah, and then it cuts to the doll, and you're like, oh shit, I forgot about the doll. Fuck that doll. Fuck yeah. that doll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the big Gagarini from the novelization that you told me about the other day that I'm just like, oh, do you want to talk about that? Oh, what's that? Dana. Dana. Okay, so Dana is Steve's daughter from his first marriage and Diana's her stepmother. Yes. Which, when I read that the other day, I'm like, why did I never think of that? Yeah. Because, like I said, that whole – that. That line where he says, my wife, Diane, is 32. My daughter, Dana, is 16. I'm always like, what the hell? So <laughs> My daughter, Dana, from the first marriage yeah. is 16. Yeah. I was just like, what? But yeah, just kind of something that we'd always kind of thought that oh, was was Diane's like teenage mom when she was, <laughs> which, like, when she was 16, which, yeah, which happens. Yeah. But, it also, but that also tied into my theory of Dana being knocked up, too. I was like, oh, she got knocked up, too. Just like, you know. But it but it does stand to reason that yeah, Stephen could have been married previously. We don't know exactly how old they are. Um But yeah, I read uh, that and it, it, it yeah. makes total sense. Yeah, it makes yeah, it makes it makes some sense. It's a that was a little bit of a gag. I never knew that. And it's not something that's it's something that lifts right out of the script. You're just like, okay, who cares? People won't notice it. People don't notice those things, you know, mm-hmm. in scripts about the ages and all that stuff. When Steve comes home, when all of these Dead bodies are bursting through the ground. Yeah. It is insane. <laughs> of this is some like this is the haunted house. Like you're you're walking through the haunted house. Right. Right. With all of these like coffins. Yeah. It's ha- bodies, it's, ha- it's Halloween like, and you go to the neighbor that like mm-hmm. that puts a lot of work into their into their yard. They're putting all the shit out in the yard with like skeletons coming out of the grass or like a coffin just like hanging out there. Right, right. Now, okay. So, I saw something online and it was a it was a meme like a goth meme and I guess a coffin uh the coffins are the ones that are shaped that go that taper down to the feet. When you think of more of a traditional wider. like Dracula coffin. Right. And they have uh, the lid is a separate piece. And a casket is what we have sure. today. That is one shaped torpedo and has a hinged lid. So they're caskets that are that are coming out of the ground. And coffins are the old Dracula. Sure. The old Dracula coffin. You're going to stake the vampire. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I never thought about that. I mean, it's like the whole thing with graveyards versus cemeteries. Cemetery, yeah. is, uh, is a graveyard attached to a church? Yeah, I think so. I think. Yeah. Um, and we have all of the stuff with 
they keep finding all of these materials, like a watch, a necklace found yeah. around the house. Yeah. And she says that this is an antique. This is hundreds of years old. Yeah. And then this and is this just... This watch is new. Yeah, this, we're not new, but yeah. This watch is just a couple years old. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And these are all artifacts that came from came from these bodies under their house. Eep. Uh, okay, so... This, like, money shot at the end of this movie. This house. Yeah, yeah move the... Yeah, move the headstones, yeah, but you didn't move the bodies. But you didn't move the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> that is a... Yeah, that is an iconic line. Screaming at James Karen, and he's just like, Ugh. Now, have you talked about on the podcast that your high school cathedral mm-hmm. in around Chinatown mm-hmm. was built over an old cemetery. I don't know if we talked about it on our podcast. We talked about it on, we Ashley, talked about it on keep it weird. Lawrence. We talked about it on keep it weird, but that I, is so fucking cool that your high school is built over uh, a cemetery. My high school is a all boys Catholic high school called cathedral. And, um, there was a, an old location and then they moved to their current location. They moved to the current location in, uh, 1925. And, and they just moved the headstones cemetery. and they didn't move the bodies. <laughs> yes. Yes. And any, any stories of the high school being haunted? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So our mascot was the phantoms. Was the, and the phantoms was wearing some like, it was a grim reaper air Jordans though. Was he wearing like sneakers? Probably. Mm-hmm. I never went to games. He was, he was so doing some like layups. <laughs> so our mascot was, we were the, we were the cathedral phantoms and our mascot was the phantom. And but he was a Grim Reaper looking guy. Great Catholic high school, all boys, perfect. Um, and he had a purple robe because our colors were purple and silver. And uh, we didn't get the suit until my junior year, so we had somebody in the in the Phantom suit. But the thing was that there was the Phantom, that the school was haunted, and that there was the Phantom, and that you. People had stories about hearing the Phantom. I was in now, the gym I don't and know I heard if it was something. One ghost, or if it was several, um, but people just referred to it as the Phantom. And um, I heard the Phantom once uh, at school. I was with God. I think I might have been with G or coworker. Oh wow! I think I might have been. with I'll G. have to ask G about this. Yeah, then he go won't, on. He won't remember. Um, but we were going on a trip. Uh, the science club was going to the Channel Islands and we, the Channel Islands are out in Ventura and there are this group of, uh, islands off the coast of Southern California and they're a nature preserve and you can't just go out there. It's like a whole thing. And when you go, it's like, you have to sign all this shit. You're not going to feed anything or take anything, whatever. So we had to go to like a butt crack of dawn to get to the Channel Islands. So brother Dan said, um, Either get here at uh, 5 a.m. or we'll have a sleepover at school. And um, we slept in the Brother Dan's classroom, which was the annex. And you had to walk across the field and the part and the senior parking lot and the basketball courts and then go down these stairs. And it was the annex because they annexed these buildings. And so some people were in the gym. And then that's where, like, the dinner pizza and stuff was. And then some people were in Brother Dan's room already, and he put on Jurassic Park. And so a couple of us were like, we're going to go get pizza, and then we're going to bring it back and then set up our, like, sleeping bags or whatever. 
and walking back down that we're going down the stairs and we heard like maniacal laughing like Ooh. maniacal laughing like crazy scary laughing and you don't think this was just like high school kids fucking around maybe i don't know how to respond to that Ugh. shut up siri shut up siri <laughs> don't we don't need you chiming in when we're talking about yeah. ghosts and i mean my school uh my high school is in chinatown in los angeles it's like right next to the 110 freeway maybe there were some kooky winos i don't know but me and whoever i was with i think it was g looked at each other and we're like oh, let's get the fuck out of here <laughs> and just booked it back to the annex and ate our pizza and watched jurassic park um so yeah um, very cool that your high school was built over an old cemetery <laughs> and they decided and, I mean, to be that, the, the I phantoms. mean that would have been a cemetery from like old pre-1900 it was 1925 when they said this cemetery is derelict yeah like there's it was old in 25 and the research that i found was that it was a um for a time it was a potter's field so that means unmarked graves people that People that couldn't afford the hospitals and the police were just like they've got no kin, they've yeah. got no family, they're nobodies. Throw them in there. Mm-hmm. So, for a time, it was a potter's field, but even before that, there were marked headstones. And when they tore down the gym and built the new athletic building, they found a lot of headstones and they mounted them on the um, uh, visitors like area for the visiting team where they have to like get all set up in their locker room. And you got to look at headstones as you walk down to get to the field. They have to pass the headstones. Yeah. So they mounted them. Good scare tactic. Mm -hmm. So yeah. (laughs) Psych them out. Yeah. So that's, that's my little bit of, of ghostiness. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, We were on keep it weird. We did a whole like urban legend, like local urban legend episode of that. Like you might have to Mm -hmm. dig far back in their catalog, but we're there talking about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talking about that stuff. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, yeah, the, the, the final Gagarini in this movie is the house imploding. And I don't know what I thought it was, but when I found out like that it was a a model, a miniature, and they attached fishing wire to various points throughout. It was like a dollhouse where it's the front facade and then the back is open like a dollhouse, you know, and there's no like back wall. So you just kind of go in and there's like all the rooms Mm -hmm. and they put fishing wire everywhere all over in little points. They just like, I don't know if they glued it or whatever. So And then they brought all the fishing wire into one big thick cord. Mm-hmm. And then they shoved that into like a vacuum. And they turned the vacuum on and it yanked everything at wow. once. That's so cool. Into this big vacuum like tube. And it like sucked the whole I mean, model. That's got to look better than. Into one small point. That's got to look better than computer effects. And they played it in slow motion. And that's what we got. <laughs> And it looks so good. Now, I'm assuming this movie was ILM, right? I think so. I mean, I think that all of the Star Wars guys yeah, worked, worked on the on effects this. of this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it shows. It shows. The special effects hold up. They're amazing. So good. Doesn't look dated. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Is this on HBO Max? 
I think it kind of goes on and off of streaming. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my iPad is weird about showing what's on what. But, um, I mean, yeah, I feel like, like I said, it has a reputation for maybe being a little campy, a little bit more funny than scary. But I think if you go back and you watch it all the way through, you give it a chance, I think you will be very um, scared. I think I think it holds up. Yeah. It's still a movie that we watch multiple times a year. I mean, like I mentioned before, it informed my love of horror movies. Yeah, absolutely. That I think it's a good movie to introduce a kid that might want to start watching scary movies. Yeah. I think without something like this, we wouldn't have, like, signs. We wouldn't have, no. you know, like, I think this is very... Um, I mean, is Insidious more or less a remake oh, of Poltergeist? Abs- absolutely. I think Insidious is a better remake of Poltergeist than, than the actual Poltergeist. Yeah. Poltergeist, yeah. yeah. Um, it has all the beats. It has all the characters. It has all the beats. And I think mm-hmm. that Insidious kind of has a fun twist on it. Right. We're kind of suckers for the Insidious movies. We haven't seen the last one directed by Patrick Wilson. Oh, girl, I didn't even know he directed yeah, the Yeah, Patrick last Wilson one. directed the Ooh. last Insidious movie. Love it. Um, but yeah. Love it. Yeah, I think it's just it's just such a good like I said, it's just this great take on a haunted house that it's a brand new house, you know. Um there's and, and it's not like the Amityville horror is like there was a murder and there was like all this stuff. It's like no, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for this to happen. Yeah. Why is it here? And then we find out like the cemetery and all that shit. Oh, so good. And then it just has that Amblin feel that if you know it and you love it, when you watch it, you're just like, Yes, this makes me feel like I'm watching Gremlins or E.T. Or and even the Goonies Spielberg kind of talks about these love letters to suburbia yeah. of E.T. versus Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. That I mean, E.T. is kind of his love letter yeah. to suburbia yeah, and yeah. those communities and just kind of this adventure with this extraterrestrial mm-hmm. and this child. Yeah. And then the opposite end of that coin is something like Poltergeist. Right. It's kind of the horrors of suburbia. <laughs> the yeah. darker side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not <laughs> it's not about like teens taking drugs. That's the dark side of suburbia. No, it's just like I don't know. It's it, it's a great take on on an old trope of a ghost story. Of a we need house. to track down the house. We need to drive there. Yeah, Maybe we'll do that go. for the episode. <laughs> I mean, it's only like thirty minutes yeah, away. It's half an hour from here. We can we, go. go right now. Yeah, well, it'll be dark by the time we get there. But the neighborhood with mature trees, it'll be lived in. It'll have a lived in look. But, um, and we were on Google Maps, and the house, the people that live there now do have a pool. They do. They finished the pool. They finished the pool. <laughs> in the past 35 years, the pool is finished. Um, Would you rather live in the house from Poltergeist or the house from, let me think of it, Earth Girls Are Easy? Ooh. No, probably the Earth Girls are easy house. I yeah. think that it has a little more California ranch easier personality. To, easier to manage to single story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they both have pools, <laughs> so both. If I had to live out in the valley, which I mean, <laughs> I don't want to live out. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to live in the Simi Valley. Let's just say we get a nice house out of it. Sorry, Valley. <laughs> but um, I mean, probably time to wrap it up. Yeah, what a fun movie to talk about for our premiere. Yes, yes, yes. Mama Slay, Joe Beth Williams, mm. you're amazing. Love this movie. Sequels have diminishing returns, but part three is 
bananas and a lot of fun. Part three is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I used to watch The Other Side a lot as a kid. Same. That movie, um, questionable if it holds up if you go back and watch it now. Yeah. But um, That's what I'm saying. Diminishing returns. But, you know. I used to watch it on, on TV a lot. Okay, okay. And then there was a, an anthology horror I show. I never watched the anthology yeah, show. I think that was on TNT. Or, yeah. or no, that's a USA Network show. Poltergeist that, Legacy. That has USA written all over it. Sure. They got, uh, gosh, they got four seasons out of it. Supposedly they're working on something else like that for streaming, like a television okay. series, but okay. I, I don't really know any of the details. Interesting. It's on the internet, though, right. so it has to be true. Yeah, totally. Well, listeners, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you're ready for season six. Thank We're going to be talking about some fun movies coming abs- up. Absolutely. Thank you for holding out while we were gone to get our sanity back. But, Always um, nice to have a break, but it's even better to start back recording. Yes, absolutely. You're energized. You're ready to talk about movies. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But uh, be sure to come back next week. We'll have a whole new uh, movie to talk about. Until then, go watch Poltergeist, and um, thanks for listening. Bye. See you next time, everybody. Bye.